This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 70 Part of the In-Between Podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. All right, so I was actually, <laughs> I had there's a little pause in my introduction, because I was like, you're listening to episode 70 of the Enneagram Podcast. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wait, that's not no, our podcast. No, we haven't no. turned all Enneagram, no. <laughs> no. But we are going to continue with part two of our interview with Lauren Gray. Mm-hmm. So if you have not heard part one yet, you can still listen to part two for sure. It'll make sense. But you'll want to go back to inbetween.org slash episode 69 to catch the first numbers. Yeah. So the big thing with any personality assessment or typing system and especially if you know your number and we do this as well you might just kind of skip over everything else <laughs> and just go straight to your number right which is good it's good because it's good to, it's know, good more to know more about yourself yes. right if you don't know what number you are you're probably just fascinating you know it's like you're, you're just kind of listening in you know attentively and being like man this is yeah no no that's my mom and that's my spouse mm-hmm. and this is me and and enneagram experts often say you shouldn't really be typing other people but no it is fun you to don't do it know their core <laughs> yes you don't know their core motivations yes, exactly but, yeah. so if you think that maybe that would be a great discussion point to be talking about the enneagram with your spouse your friends all that but not telling them like i think you're at no 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 because no. that they actually really that, yeah. so our first counseling session with lauren i thought i was a three and then all these people being like what does that make sense no you're totally an you're, eight wing yeah, seven. you're an eight or you're a seven or how can you be this you have lots of fears you're a six and i was so confused mm. afterwards because no one really knows your core motivation or your core fears except yourself and god yeah yeah and <laughs> right? that's that's a really key word core motivations mm-hmm. right those things underneath the surface that are driving the way and and why you do what you do. Right. Now, if you have been a faithful listener and you've listened to the episode where we talked about Strengths Finder, mm-hmm. right? You might be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Daniel, Christina, are you like going back on your Strengths Finder stuff?" And I was like, "No, I still love the Strengths Finder." Completely. The Enneagram just measures something else. It reveals something else. It's it's like peeling another layer of the onion back mm-hmm. and just understanding more about yourself and more about how God has created you and and those around you. So this episode is, I mean, we're going to not only finish out the numbers, but we're going to go deeper in what it means to be led by love uh, and not pushed by fear mm-hmm. and, and, and what it means to think through the Enneagram with I mean, not only conflict uh, resolution and not only conflict management, but just in, in terms of relational health. Completely. So with the podcast, I mean, especially with this being a marriage and parenting podcast, we would love it if you would just share the episode with your spouse or your significant other and have the conversation with them, right? Discover your core motivations with one another. And I know you're going to be the better for it. So without further ado, here is part two of our interview with Lauren Gray. Okay, 
So sixes are our loyal person. Um, they tend to have some worst case scenario thinking. And so their communication style is going to reflect that. So they're assessing situations to um, see potential problems, which means they're going to be asking a lot of questions. Um, and if you present them with a plan, they might try to poke holes in it, um, looking for the weak points. Uh, but it's all out of a way to try to strengthen things and be prepared for any problems. Um, so they are really focused on data and um, they want to know who is involved, all the issues involved, the goals. They want a clear picture of everything going on so that they can look for all of the potential pitfalls. Sixes also can tend to be a little bit suspicious of other people's motives. Um, and that's part of their worst case scenario thinking sometimes. Okay. Um, and so they've got to remember that some people can be trusted, even though some people can't, mm -hmm. there are people who have proven to be trustworthy that they can be safe talking to. So for sixes, is this suspicious feeling, is that like a conscious thing or is that, do you think like an unconscious happening in that level? I think it's unconscious, but they, they definitely want to see that someone can be trustworthy and loyal like they are. Oh, okay. Now, are they, do you know, typically, like, if you break their trust once, or you show like, you know, that you maybe are not completely trustworthy in every situation, do you feel like they would put a big X beside you and be like, nope, never can be trusted? Or are they ones to give a few more chances? That's tricky because they are very loyal. So if you have a relationship with a six um, that's already established, I think that they would feel conflicted there. So maybe you've lost some trust, but they are still committed to you because that's who they are and they're very loyal and dutiful. So a lot of the time their suspicion can be with new people or with new situations even. I'm not so sure about that. Like they'll be hesitant to try new things because they're, they could be a little bit anxious about it or mm -hmm. worst case scenario thinking. No, that's good. So what if you're in conflict with a six then? How should you go about that then? I think... The thing to never do with a six is to tell them that the things that they are afraid of are silly. Oh, that can okay. be very hurtful hmm. to them because they that is the lens through which they see the world. They can't turn it off. Now, you can help guide them through, well, let's talk about, you know, what if this happens and help them kind of go down the road and eventually be able to come to a, if the worst does happen, Mm -hmm. You know, we are still in God's hands. We are still, it's going to be okay, ultimately. And so because of their suspicion, they want to see that you are going to be trustworthy to them and faithful to them. And they want you to show that you really get the problem, what's going on. Gotcha. So I'm thinking of people recommend sometimes if you having uh, a fear that you should just go and face it. Is that like really bad for a six to like make them do that? 
Well, there's two different kinds of sixes. Um, there is a phobic six, which is um, that has that anxiety going on and it can sometimes shut them down. But then okay. there is a counterphobic six where they do just that. So if something is making them anxious or fearful, they will confront that fear on their own as a response to kind of like prove that it, they can handle it. Hmm. Okay. And one more thing about clarification. You were talking about not so great to, it would really be hurtful to approach a six and say like their fears are silly. Yeah. Now, how about helping them realize that some of these fears are irrational? Is irrational and silly one in the same in a six's mind? Probably so. I mean, I think you can guide them down the road of, well, let's think about this and think through what's actually going to happen here. But just immediately calling something irrational or silly or stupid can be very hurtful because they they really feel that fear and anxiety um, and they can't just shut it off. They've got to work through it. All right. So I'm like... Do we move on to seven or do we dig a little bit deeper? <laughs> Let's move on to seven yeah. for now. And, and then maybe we'll loop back around because you talked about phobic and counterphobic and mm-hmm. a few other things. So let's let's get to seven first. Okay. So our sevens are our joyful people. They can sometimes be called the enthusiast. And so their speaking style is typically very quick and spontaneous with lots and lots of words. Um, sevens are in the thinking triad as well. And so their brains are clicking a hundred miles an hour. They are, they are thinking about one topic to the next Mm -hmm. and they tend to be very upbeat and charming and they love to interact with people and energetically engage with them about different subjects and things that fascinate them and amuse them. Sometimes that can cause them to interrupt because their brains are moving so quickly. And, um, and so they also like the threes kind of need to slow down a little bit so that other people can get a worded edgewise. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Okay. So just let's do a pause on this. Uh, there's a book, uh, how we love, I believe it's called how we love by, I, I can't say the person's last name, Yurkovich or Milan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it's interesting because the book, he talks about these archetypes that oftentimes these types of relationships will, uh, these types of people will actually often be attracted to each other and common conflicts and such like that. So would you say, I mean, in light of that whole idea, and especially with the Enneagram being types and these patterns that a lot of people fall into, would you say that there are certain numbers that just don't jive with one another. Well, I was thinking of you and you're talking like about the fives. I'm like, man, would a seven and a five together be exhausting? Yeah, or like a seven and a four. Right. Yeah, like the downer and the positive. I don't know. (laughs) 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 Well, I think so. So the diplomatic answer is 
any healthy number <laughs> can be in a relationship yeah. yes. with yeah, yeah, any yeah. other healthy number. Yes, I get which that. Is, okay, but. <laughs> which is true. Yes. It is true. But yes. I think certain combinations are going to have very specific challenges that may not be as difficult. So if you okay. have a seven and a three in a relationship, they are very high energy and can keep up with each other. And so that's going to feel more natural than a seven and a five. Now, that doesn't okay. mean a seven and a five can't be in a relationship, but mm-hmm. they've got to really understand each other yeah, and okay. know that I think um, Ian Morgan Cron talks about a couple that he knew that would have to go to a party in two separate cars because he knew that the five was going to be checking out early and mm-hmm. the seven wanted to stay. And so once they established <sighs> okay. that, then they worked it out and that right. worked for them. So I think, yes, certain combinations, there's going to be more specific and more, maybe not more difficult, but maybe more challenging things to be aware of than if you had um, numbers that just kind of click more easily. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Lauren, you were talking quickly uh, and use the word in health. So if a certain number is, you know, healthy, then they can technically get along with every other number and, you know, be in a relationship. Um, what does that mean for our listeners who are like health? Like you mean like they're physically healthy or <laughs> right. and then I guess like what does unhealthy look like then in the yeah. Enneagram? People will talk about different stages of health. So you've got average space, which is kind of where all of us in our just usual, not really being self-aware place, that's where we'll fall in kind of that average space. So you'll see some of the negative behaviors of each type in that average space. But once we start to have more self-awareness, have more balance, Um, in our number, then we can move to a healthier space where we're highlighting the positive aspects of our number and the negative behaviors aren't showing up quite as much. In stress or if we are very unaware of ourselves, then we can dip down into that unhealthy space. And really, you could be fluctuating between these three spaces throughout the day. Um, you know, so you can't really necessarily say, well, you're an unhealthy three. I -hmm. mean, somebody may be an unhealthy three, but usually we're hovering in that average space. If we're doing really well, we'll get up into that healthy space. And if we're having a hard time, we may have some behaviors from the unhealthy. Mm. Got that's, you. Yeah, that's really helpful. And and for our listeners, as Lauren has been coaching us in this, we have homework every time we mm-hmm. meet and, and it's been uh, difficult. And also, uh, it's been difficult to do the homework, uh, not because I don't understand it, but just because it requires self-reflection right. and it requires looking inward and it requires for three, you know, to slow down and yeah. to and start yeah. naming things yes, too. Like exactly. I'll say something or I'll start to think something. I'm like, oh, that's my unhealthiness coming yes. out, Christina. Yes, which has like, been so yeah, exactly. Or like maybe you shouldn't like it helps me pause. Like, don't say that. That's not 
no, that's coming from a very dark place, Christina. Yeah. <laughs> that's your unhealth speaking for sure. So it's really helpful to to know that. And also for me, when I was learning about health, unhealth, I guess I sort of saw it initially as like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like once you reach self-actualization or like the top of the pyramid, right. you're there's no longer like coming down. And then realizing like actually that could change like throughout the day or mm. even throughout the moment feeling great and then encountering something that sends you to stress. So um, for me, it was revolutionary to realize that I'm not just going to stay on the mountaintop the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, right. oh, man, or that okay. you're not stuck. You know, right. you're not stuck right. in that. And I think that is one of the things that I love about the Enneagram it, in contrast to other personality typing systems. Mm-hmm. This is so flexible and there are real genuine paths to growth within the Enneagram. Whereas, you know, Myers-Briggs, maybe you're like, oh, I'm an INTJ. That's just what I am. Um, With the Enneagram, you're not your number. Your number is the personality that you have developed to survive in the world. And Mm. so that personality can be flexible, can be, you can integrate different types into your personality to find more balance. And so that's where the wings come into play. And you can kind of move around the Enneagram. Now your core number is always going to be your number. Okay. But you're bringing balance to your number by being able to integrate some of the other behaviors into what you are already doing. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So back to the seven, let's just wrap up the seven and let's say you're in conflict with a seven. Uh, What advice would you give to that individual. Okay. Well, sevens are not going to want to enter in to that conflict with you very much. Um, They're viewing life from a very positive lens. And because unlike the four that can enjoy melancholy and be very comfortable in that space, Mm -hmm. sevens feel like if they dip into these negative emotions that they don't know how to get out because that muscle is not strong because they're not exercising it very often. So they're going to try their best to avoid the conflict um, or distract themselves with something else. And so it may be hard to get the seven to enter in with you because they really just don't want to deal with it. Um, But that only delays addressing the problem, which makes it grow usually. Um, So if you can encourage a seven to slow down, And to enter into that with you and maybe reassure them that this conversation doesn't have to last forever. Okay. This isn't a place that we have to stay because they're ready to jump out of that difficult conversation as fast as they can because they don't like the negative emotions associated with it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So how can you tell with the seven um, if they're kind of, you know, willing to jump out of it that things are actually resolved. Because to me, it sounds like a seven might be like, yeah, it's all good. I forgive you. Let's move on. Whereas knowing this with the about a seven, like, okay, are we really okay? Like, am I really forgiven? Or is this something that they're just trying to move past quickly? Right. Well, you may see it pop up. So we we're talking about moving around the Enneagram based on Sometimes we'll move to another number in stress and sometimes we'll move to another number in 
security, like when we're Mm -hmm. feeling good. So when sevens are stressed out, they move to one. And so you're going to start being criticized by your seven okay, (laughs) Um, because it's going to be moving to the unhealthy side of the Hmm. one. So they're going to be very critical. They can sometimes be very harsh. So you're going to know that things aren't okay, even if they're trying to kind of jump into just the next fun thing to, in order to get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Well, so because sevens are, you know, there's, they have a lot of fun and high energy. If they're critical, does that sometimes mean, I mean, are, are they more likely to be sarcastic? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause they're kind of put in a funny spin to it and yes. Okay. Right. Jabbing you, but not like necessarily slapping you across the face. Yes. <laughs> Right. In some ways. Oh, okay. Well, you're talking about with the sevens that, you know, they go to ones when they're unhealthy. So what does it look like to be a healthy seven? And what number do they? The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber and author of the Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Reflect. Um, So they will start to move to a five when they are feeling healthy. So that means that they, yeah, that they will be more introspective. Um, They will slow down some and they will think through all of the fun things that they are planning and be able to commit. So fives will commit to a topic and research and research and research. Mm -hmm. Sevens can tend to kind of bop around to whatever feels the most exciting in the moment. And so when they're experiencing some security and some health, then they can really zero in and focus and commit to something. Okay. When they're in that five space. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I know for our listeners, there, I mean, there are a lot of words, especially if they're not too familiar with the Enneagram, a lot of words being thrown out, a lot of concepts being thrown out. Yes. But, but when you explain it that way, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense, right? For a seven, when a seven is, you know, if their tendency is to kind of bop around and when they're healthy, going to a five and being able to focus a little bit more because right. for Christina and I, us being threes, um, you know, Lauren, you two, when, when we, and this is, we've really found this a lot in our marriage mm-hmm. when we are in conflict with each other, we both go to a nine. Um, yeah. like when we're when in we're our unhealth, right. which I mean, you're going to get to the nine, but we both basically give in or we don't want to talk about it and we just kind of relent. And, and in a sense for a three, it's like, well, who cares about the box that I want to check off anymore? <laughs> right. Or like right. my classic and Daniel learned quickly that duh, do whatever you want. Doesn't yeah. actually when we were early, want. <laughs> yeah, our first year of right. marriage, I was like, whoa, I could actually do whatever I want. This is incredible. Yeah. I just got to wear Christina down and... <laughs> 
Yep. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Many that didn't work well. No. No. Yes. no exactly. But I had no idea what was happening because she said right. I could go she out, said. but <laughs> if when I was putting my jacket on, she got really angry and look at death. Yeah. So, but you said I could go out and play basketball. So yeah. you said you okay. didn't care. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Very true. Yes. We've learned. We've learned through many sleepless yes. nights. Oh, yes. We've learned. Yes. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's go on to the eight, Lauren. How, what is their communication style like? Okay. The eight is the powerful person. Sometimes people call them the challenger. Um, so their communication style is going to reflect their tendency to deploy power and authority. And this is to get things done and to assert what they think is right. So their speaking style can be very bold, very authoritative, sometimes can be blunt um, and they can get impatient with others when they are less direct. They really want clear communication and really don't like communicating with people that are wishy-washy. They aren't afraid of conflict. And eights actually can sometimes feel like conflict is connection. So they like that energy that is created in conflict. And it's kind of, it sometimes feels like a game for them. And so they want to play. So they'll pick a fight maybe, or not necessarily a fight, but challenge you to see if you're going to come and give them the same energy that they're putting forth. So this is interesting because I work with a few eights and I, I feel like I work really well with eights. So it sounds a little bit like similar to a three, right? Yeah. You're talking about like be direct and like yes. don't be wishy-washy because yeah. you're talking saying that with a three. Yeah, I mean, is, right. is there is is that common that threes and eights would work well together? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes, threes and eights are a great working pair um, because they can meet the same energy level uh, as the other one has. And the efficiency that the three is after is really great for the eight because you need directness for that efficiency to happen. Okay. So if they can come up with a plan, they execute, they know what's required of each other, and then they go and do. So you're talking about an eight almost likes to like pick a fight to see how things go. Would that be like almost showing appreciation to an eight if you were to I guess, yeah, fight back <laughs> in some yeah. ways? Like in a lighthearted, I'm not talking yes. about like putting them down completely to feel like trash, right. but like in a playful manner. In a playful manner, or they want, they just want you to meet them with the same energy that they are putting out. That's what okay. they're looking for. So it's kind of like the four wants um, that emotional response from you. Okay. They want this passionate energy from you because they are feeling passionate about everything that they are talking about. So if they aren't passionate about it, they don't have time for it. But whatever they're engaging with you on, they are going to have passion for. And so they want, it's kind of like a test. Like, how are you going to respond to me? Is this somebody that I can actually contend with? Or are you weak? And eights tend to not gravitate towards people that they perceive as weak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're talking about gravitate, does that also have to do maybe with respect? Like an eight wouldn't respect someone that he or she thinks is quote unquote weak? For sure. Now, this this is a little bit tricky because they they don't view people who are in a very difficult situation as weak. So 
they may be passionate about homelessness, but they're not looking down on people who are homeless. Um, okay. They are fighting for that cause, but in like a, in a one-on-one situation or a working situation, they are looking for that weakness and they will lose respect if you show that to them. So does weakness mean vulnerability as well? Like if you show you're vulnerable, in, like in an emotional sense, does that interpreted as weakness to an eight or is that something different? Yeah, I mean, they are very uncomfortable with being vulnerable themselves. Okay. Um, and so they don't exactly know what to do with an emotional display in that way. They can go with the passion, they can go with the anger, but if it's sadness and things like that, they have a hard time relating to that. Okay. And so that I'm not trying to say that eights will just kind of write you off if you they think that that you're not as strong as they are. Mm-hmm. But they are looking for people who can meet them where they are. That's helpful. So let's say you're in conflict with an eight then. I mean, one of the things that I remember from uh, Ian Cron's book, uh, Ian Cron and Susan Stabile, The Road Back to You, mm-hmm. uh, is that eights don't have to be in control. They just don't like to be controlled. Hmm. Yes. Right. So yes. what what happens when you're in a conflict with, with the eight and, and maybe some of that is coming out? Well, I mean, I think... A good example of this is maybe how sometimes an eight and a two can interact. So if a two is really coming on strong with, you know, crossing over boundaries or I need to help you or hear it, you know, if, if an unhealthy two is trying to manipulate an eight, mm-hmm. uh, they are going to really resist that hard. Mm-hmm. And the two is going to feel rejection there. And so just like with the four is looking for that you understand the problem mm-hmm. with an emotional response, the eight is looking for you to understand the problem by meeting them with some energy behind it. So if they're not as, you don't have to be as passionate as the eight about something, but if they're coming to you with some conflict, withdrawing and stepping back is not what they want in that moment. They want you to come to them and enter in with them. Okay. Mm. Withdrawing and like taking a step back, is that how it may not be what they want, but that would that be a healthy way to approach conflict with an eight? Just being like, okay, I think things are getting too heated here. Let's, you know, take 10 minutes, breathe, and then come back to it. Or would the eight be like, you're done? Yeah, they probably would. Because here's the thing with the eight and their anger. Once they have expressed it, it's over. They don't have this simmering Hmm. resentment that holds on. They just kind of have a big pop of anger and then they're done with it. So if that, um, they also like the four, there's a lot of similar perceptions that fours and eights see in themselves. So eights also feel like they're too much um, Hmm. because of their anger. But Hmm. if somebody can stay in the moment and not be afraid or put off by their anger, once it's over, they can kind of have a more um, balanced discussion about something. 
That's that is so helpful. That is so helpful. If um, for anyone that's in a relationship with an mm-hmm. eight, w- is there one of the numbers that would maybe simmer more um, and, and kind of? Dwell oh, that on one. Yeah. That one's going to be simmering. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's never over. It's <laughs> maybe it takes a long time. I mean, time for I, I think. <laughs> well, you've got to. You know, we're we're as Christians looking at everything through a gospel lens. So yes. we're talking yeah. about all of these things in a truly, you know, average to unhealthy space. So with mm. all of this, there is room for growth and room for God to help us with all of that. But mm. ones will hang on to that anger because they tend to not express it because mm-hmm. they feel like expressing it is wrong or bad or just not the right thing to do. And so because they don't express it, it can't go anywhere and it just internalizes. And yeah, I think there are numbers that hold on to those feelings more and not necessarily just anger, but just any kind of feeling they hang on to it a little bit more than others. But eights for sure, once they've released it, they're done with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is really good. So last but not least, we're at our nines. I know all the nines listening in were like, like why do we always go last? <laughs> but they're peacemakers, right? Yeah. So they, they, they were actually probably... Well, they're not going to ever so. say that. They're going to go, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so yes, the nines are the peacemaker and they are always trying to find agreement and not make waves. So that means they may say yes a whole lot, have a hard time saying no, and they may even say yes when they really mean no, um, or just not say anything and let you assume that they are agreeing. They like to give a full picture of things. And so once they get talking, they may tell very long stories so that they are representing all sides of a discussion. And they are so good at understanding everyone's individual perspective, which makes them really great mediators, Mm -hmm. but they don't know what they think a whole lot of the time um, because Mm -hmm. they're able to see all of these different perspectives. They really have to focus and concentrate on what do I actually think about this, even though I can see valid points in all these different areas. Mm-hmm. Now for a nine, is the thinking and the feeling the same? Because I know you were talking about Enneagram type threes don't necessarily know how they feel or even like the twos, you know, they don't know how they feel. Is that the same as a nine or is the thinking and feeling separate things? Well, so the nine is in the body center, the gut, the instinct center. So okay. they will have an instinct about something, but... Nines don't feel like they are worthy of being able to express it. And Hmm. so they push down their thoughts and opinions in deference to someone else's. Um, And that sometimes comes from a feeling of like, well, my opinion is not as important as someone else's. So, So if you're in conflict then with a nine... Would you know that you're in conflict? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be well, tough, I guess, yeah. right? 
I think you would eventually. So nines okay. tend to take on a very passive aggressive stance. Uh, yes. Um, so they're not going to initiate conflict, but if they are in conflict with you, the things that you need them to do may not get done or something that you've asked for, or they'll just kind of silently dig in their heels. So you okay. won't necessarily have a direct conflict, but there will be no movement in whatever mm-hmm. you're wanting. Oh, okay. Even if they say yes, it'll just be yes. like, actually, I really mean no, but you can't hear me say no. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. And then nothing. Oh, okay. So how do you, so now that we know, okay, what to look for if we are in conflict with a nine, how would you approach conflict resolution then with a an Enneagram type nine? Um, I think you've got to give them space and really encourage them to explore their thoughts, desires, feelings, and needs. And this also may take some time. So they may not be able to have something immediately for you, like the whole classic, where do you want to go to dinner? I don't know. I don't care. They really probably don't know. And they really probably don't care. But if it's, you know, if it's a deeper issue that they actually need to have an opinion on, I think encouraging them and helping them realize that their point of view is just as important to the discussion as anybody else's. Hmm. Um, And then giving them an opportunity to figure out what that is. That's so good. Lauren, it's, (laughs) I mean, yes, this this has been incredible. Because I think as you were talking about like, okay, some numbers need space and other numbers need actually you to really kind of get in there with the nitty gritty and in their face almost. And then there's other times like, okay, they need to, they don't know how they feel or, oh, they know really how they feel. (laughs) Like the types definitely, I can see how knowing each type better and understanding would help in conflict resolution. Well, I was just going to say, we always need to remember with the Enneagram that the work is on our end first. So taking all of these communication styles and conflict styles and going, okay, how am I being perceived? Hmm. Where can I have some awareness of how I'm interacting in this conflict? Because I think it can be so easy to go, oh, well, you're a whatever number, and that's why you're acting this way. Well, maybe so, but you can't really do anything about them, but you can work on yourself um, and be more self-aware about mm-hmm. how how you're interacting is either fueling or helping the conflict at hand. Yeah. And that's that's what I love about the Enneagram. And it's it's so you can take it, you know, one day at a time and and you can work on one area and, and, and the other. And if you're listening to this at the time of our uh, of, of us releasing these episodes, Christina and I are still in Nashville, uh, but we are in the midst of transition, which mm-hmm. we are going to talk a little bit more at a future date. But I remember, um, Lauren, you helped us as we were doing our homework. I mean, you even shared this one quote from Emily P. Freeman, am I being led by love or being pushed by fear? Mm-hmm. And you're helping us discern and you're helping us look at our emotions, which a lot of times as threes, we 
may not really want to be doing where, you know, we're like, oh, we got to move to this or do this. And, and, but you, you helped us so much in the process of, of you coaching, um, and you coaching us and you sharing, uh, with Enneagram, digging deeper and helping us understand, okay, what are the core fears? What are the fears Mm -hmm. that are kind of driving this? And, and what does it look like for this to be redeemed? Um, from an image of God standpoint as well. So, I mean, Lauren, you've been so generous in your time with us and with this podcast, and we just love, uh, we just, we just love what you're doing, and, and and love that you've uh, coached us in all this. Um, so, so Lauren, for our listeners who are listening in, and they're like, man. How can I get coached by Lauren? <laughs> or uh, is that a possibility? Yeah. yeah, I mean, is that a possibility? I mean, what 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 does it look like for our listeners to take a next step with you and and to learn more about what you do? So yeah. very soon, um, I will be opening up spots to be able to have one on one coaching. So people can either follow me on Instagram and be watching for that at Lauren Elkins Gray and Gray is with an A-Y, not an E-Y. Mm-hmm. Or you can contact me directly through um, my website, www.laurenelkinsgray.com. And I can be available for one-on-one couples coaching. I really love to come into groups and do some teaching on how the Enneagram can affect a workplace or a church. And also if churches want a very gospel specific approach, I can Mm -hmm. also bring that as well. All of those options are on my website and there's a, a place for you to be able to contact me about that too. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you so much. And and we'll have that all in the show notes. So thanks again for being with us, Lauren. All right, y'all. I know it was like, wow. That's a lot. Yeah, right? it was a lot of information. Completely. I mean, we interviewed her straight through and we yes. had to cut it out. But <laughs> even at the end of it, it was like, man, we want to keep on talking to yeah, you. Yeah, there's so, so many other questions. Yeah, even when it comes to the underlying fears. Yes. And, and yes, there's yeah, so just we're talking so much. about like what number do you go to in health or unhealth or the triads. Um, they're talking about like phobic and counterphobic. And there's all these other things that we could have talked about and continue to explore. Unfortunately, with the time restraints, we couldn't. But this is a wonderful opportunity to go to inbetween.org slash episode 70 for the show notes, where we will link to some other resources that have really helped us understand the Enneagram more. And even the lingo that we were throwing around, you'll be able to better understand it. Yeah. And based on your learning personality, uh, some of you are going to be great with podcasts like this. Mm -hmm. And we'll put some links to other podcasts that we love about the Enneagram and where they talk about all that. We'll also put some books um, resources that you can read, books that you can read for those of you who are kind of uh, visual learners, you know, podcasts for auditory learners. But I know there's a significant number of you that are verbal processors. And I, as much as I love the books, and I mean, we're in our office and there's lots of books. And <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I love reading. Sometimes nothing beats just talking to an expert about this completely and talking through it and the homework that we have done. And like we said on the podcast, I mean, we, Lauren has been coaching us. She is our Enneagram coach and she has learned, she has taught us. Uh, she has sat in this material for right. a really long time. She didn't just read a book and was like, oh, I'm going to start a coaching business. <laughs> no. no, I mean, she understands this from the inside out and she has helped us in our marriage and in our coach. So, so if you're 
you're like, man, I'm ready to take the next step. I I, I want to talk to someone about this. I think the best way that I can process this is mm-hmm. not necessarily through a book, but through verbally processing it together. And this is going to be a great opportunity to do that as a couple or individually. Lauren did say that she does have coaching spots opening up. Right. And I just want to encourage y'all to like when we started this, it's not like we felt like we were unhealthy or we were having, you know, marital issues that we need counseling to heal some past wounds or any of that. It wasn't that it was literally like, okay, let's understand each other and as well as other people around us. It has helped us understand different relationships that we have, even with our extended family and to show more grace understanding and realizing that everyone has motivations that make them do different things whether that's healthy or unhealthy but in the end how we all need grace and how we all need to be redeemed by jesus christ yeah so just go to inbetween.org episode 70 for all of that and next week on episode 71 we're going to be talking about all the ways you can have the best summer ever we'll see you next week This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.